All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Uh, it's quite a ride today. I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with you. Uh, how are you? Are you okay? Really, buckle up, because this episode, it was surprising to me. It was surprising. It's Kenneth Branagh, all right? He's on the show. Okay, he he wrote and directed this new movie, Belfast, which is a semi-autobiographical coming-of-age movie about growing up in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I have to be honest with you. I had prejudged uh, Mr. Branagh not knowing anything over my life. I'm not talking about today. I'm not talking about when I talk to him. I'm talking about my life. Over my life. I decided at some point, probably very near the start of once we started to know about Kenneth Branagh, that he was sort of a, a high, highfalutin dude, like a, a maybe a snobby kind of earnest. You, you know, I don't know what I thought, but it had something to do with Shakespeare. It had something to do with, you know, his his seeming demeanor. And maybe as a younger man, he was different. But I had no idea he was this Irish kid from from the from the, you know, the bad part of town well, it wasn't really the bad part of town. It's a poor neighbor, but I had no idea about any of that stuff. But that that wasn't what shifted things. I mean, what shifted things was was just like he got here. We had a few exchanges, but I just didn't know anything about him really. And we got into it, and it was a, a, a an exchange of ideas and feelings, and we moved through things. And there was moments during this show where he was acting stuff out and I was watching him act it out and it was almost Shakespearean. We talked about, you know, whether or not he should do Lear. Yeah, I'm advising Kenneth Branagh on, on whether he should do Lear. I don't know. What, what do I know if he's going to take my advice? But what do I know in general? And I didn't make him do Shakespeare, but I felt the Shakespeare, I, I felt the Bard's presence. And I'm not a Shakespeare guy. But it was the general pace, excitement, I mean, I thought I was on a ride with this dude, and I didn't expect that at all. You know, sometimes I, I get in my seat and, I, and, and people sit across from me. I have no idea what's going to happen. I just found this one kind of uh, electric. Yeah. I had no experience of him talking to anybody. I didn't watch anything. Didn't know anything. Just saw the few movies I've seen. Knew what he looked like. Had a sense. Just I watched Belfast, which you can see now, and I wrote it out. I wrote it out with this guy. And again, not unlike when uh, Sir Ian McKellen did Shakespeare to my face because I was being like, you know, uh, I was I was like, no, I don't know. Is Shakespeare that good? You should go listen to that. Ian McKellen did Shakespeare. Sir Ian McKellen did Shakespeare to my face, a kind of off the beaten path Shakespeare. The Sir, Tom- Sir Thomas More, a monologue from that about immigrants to my face. And I got it. It, it it sunk in. He delivered it. And I understood it. And I knew why it was amazing. And I think I've always known why it's amazing. But not unlike lyrics to music or rap lyrics or lyrics in general, I, 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 get ex- I have a hard time listening to them all. After a certain point, it's like, I can't follow. I can't follow. I can listen to plain talk. But sort of anything with a groove, with pentameter, with a lot of adjectives, like I sort of get lost. A plus B equals C. I can get that arc. 
But with Shakespeare and some rap tunes, I'm like, wow, man, I can't follow. I'm tired. My brain hurts. I don't know. I enjoy the music, though. I enjoy the actor. I like watching the actor talk. I like hearing the beats. But again, I had a a fairly in-depth conversation about Shakespeare with one of the great Shakespearean actors of all time. And I, and I felt understood and I felt like he understood me and I had some reasonable things to say being the dolt that I am when it comes to Shakespeare. I don't know if it's some ADHD. I don't know what it is, but I have a hard time with scripts in terms of like, where's this guy going? What's the stage direction? Where are we now? What happened in between this? I just can't hold it in my head. I can't see it in the same way I can see it when it's described in a book. It's really an obstacle for me and my excuse for not being able to lock in with Shakespeare. The stage direction is <laughs> problem. <laughs> that, that's, that's my issue right there. I get lost because of the stage direction. Breakneck pace coming at you. Kenneth Branagh on a manic tear. And the emotions when he talked about his father... Like he was acting it out right here, like a Shakespearean man. And he did some stuff, I believe. I think he did some stuff from from Lear. Gave him some advice about, you know, whether he should wait to do Lear. I'm the guy to ask if any of you Shakespearean actors are wondering how long to wait to do Lear. Kenneth Branagh asked me, so maybe you should ask me too. (laughs) Ask me anything about uh, Shakespeare. And I'll bullshit right through it. I do understand the scope. It's every. It's all in there. I know it's all in there. It's all. It's like. It's like Visions of Joanna, by Bob Dylan. Everything's in there. He didn't need to do any more after that. And you can you can parse it all you want. It's all right, Ma. I'm only bleeding. It's all in there. It's all in there. Shakespeare did a lot. Dylan did a lot. I don't know why I'm comparing the two all of a sudden out of nowhere. I'm just saying. There are some things that contain it all. And that thing will evolve with you as you get older. Any of the great art will grow with you. As your eyes get old, you will see it in new ways. This part of life. As your eyes get old, the light will shine through the art that has carried you through your entire life. It will always be there for you. It will evolve with you. It will reveal itself. As you get older, it will reveal itself in new ways that bring a new way to look at things. As you, as you start to shuffle off this mortal coil, art will be there for you. The music you love, the movies you love, the theater you love, the poems you love, the literature you love, the paintings. As you shuffle off this mortal coil, art will be there for you. And you should keep it with you. Stay connected to it. It's brain blood. It's brain food. I've said it before. Art should punch you in the brain and it should stay punched. That's the beautiful trauma of art. Is how it impacts you. And also, again, to say thank you to all the people that came to see me at Town Hall last Saturday. I appreciate your support. I appreciate you coming out. It was great to see everybody. It was a special show in that it'll never happen again. Not unlike many of my shows. Stuff happened there that will never happen again. Big chunks of stuff. 
I like that. That's the only thing that makes it worthwhile for me is when a big chunk of stuff happens. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why it happened. I don't know who delivered it to my brain. But I like to think that if my brain is punch drunk from art, that maybe sometimes I stutter out some pretty good shit that I have no control over. It's the gift. It's the portal being opened. It's the keeping an open mind and keeping a little fire in there. I got fire because I'm unresolved. I'm an unresolved person. I don't know what's going to give me closure or peace or stop me from doing dumb shit. But I talked to Kenneth Branagh about life and, and we're, we're going to talk about it. You're going to hear it. And we're going to talk about the new film Belfast that he wrote and directed. And it's a beautiful movie. Belfast is now playing in theaters. It's, it's kind of uh, beautifully constructed. Anyway, we'll talk about it. All right. Strap in. This is me and Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, it's very uh, interesting and exciting to see you in person. Oh, well, thank you very much. Right here in front of me. Pull that mic in. Pulling it in. Pull it in like like you've done a few voiceovers (laughs) in your life. (laughs) Pull it in like you're in show business. (laughs) You you don't have to. uh, You can can move it to your. This is brilliant. I just like it. I like. No, no, I'm loving it. I'm loving the multidimensional movement possibilities of this. (laughs) It's making me very excited. But but it's it's unusually weighted, I would say. A little bit. I got to tighten it up. It's fine with me. No, are you loving it? Yeah, yeah. Good? Just, good, don't good. they have this kind of stuff at the not BBC? Not really, they not really. No, no BBC, not the... BBC, you bring your own in. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. So, well, you don't live here at all, do you? I don't live here, though. No. No, no. You don't have a place here or nothing? No, no, no. I have one um, uh, sort of more or less two-year period. Uh, about a decade ago, I lived down in Manhattan Beach, and that was my uh, extended period. I loved it. I must yeah. have absolutely loved it. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I did. What year was that? What year was that? Where was where I, we came at the beginning of two thousand and nine? We were making Thor for Marvel, and so we, oh, so that's not that wasn't long ago. No, no, no. yeah, so, yeah. But it was uh, we really liked it. My wife really liked it. And we, Thor with uh, with Taika? Uh, no, no, no. The, I directed the first one. So it was you the, directed the, the first. The, Thor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, yeah, was yeah. there is there resentment against Taika? Oh, oh deep seated resentment. I didn't get. <laughs> There's now fifteen of the Thors, aren't there? There's like I don't know Thor twenty two now. I not think not my yeah. world, man. I haven't seen any of it. <laughs> well, it's a, listen, it's all ahead of you. You've got exciting, exciting things to come. I mean, that's the box sure. set of all box sets, the MCU. Oh yeah, and I think I'll do it as I'm going out. Yeah, as I, like, when I'm bedridden with whatever gets me i'll go maybe it's time but then what if you want to go back and see things again know, you know you don't, know. don't leave it too late my I, friend, you're you right because right. there's, there's easter eggs in there you're gonna really I've, enjoy i've spoken out publicly against it Have i've you? been i've been <laughs> you're on the yeah, manning the barricades yes against the I've, I've been verbal against the the uh, <laughs> consolidation <laughs> of the entertainment I, why are we all being infantilized You'll, you know what I'm talking about. You'll see. You'll put this beautiful movie about your childhood out there, and people are going to be like, they did no superheroes. Well, there is. Well, actually, there is a little Thor comic in there. I which know, I, yeah. Which I you did read way, way back in, in Belfast. But you'd never been persuaded that there is a sort of greater depth or there's a sort of greater range of I, things that you might like might be found in there as well. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. But like, I And I'm sure I would enjoy some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'd rather not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's just... And I was in the 
Joker. I have one scene in yeah, the Joker there you go. There you with go. Uh, with Robert De Niro, but that's a that's DC. So I it's a, <laughs> oh, it's, so that's proper work. Yeah. Kind of, it's a rationalization. <laughs> but I mean, I wasn't gonna when when Todd uh, Phillips called me and said, "Do you want to do a scene with De Niro?" I'm like. You know what? I'm not a comic book guy. <laughs> is that who did you say his name was again? Yeah, Bob who? What yeah, would I have seen him in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he a famous guy? <laughs> so I've got my two lines with Robert De Niro. And, uh, you know, and I had to take the hit from the Marvel people. Like, you know, being a hypocrite. I'll take it. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I did a film with Robert De Niro years ago. And Which John, one? John Cleese was in it. Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, John yeah, Cleese, yeah, yeah. John Cleese insisted on calling him Robert De Niro oh, really? for the whole of the really? show. He played we, the monster, right? He did. He did. It was a good. It was a good monster. Yeah, I thought he was. It was yeah. a, a, a human monster. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He brought a humanity to it. I think he did. Yeah, you know, boxy. And how did you find? How did you find to working with him? He's a nice guy. He's a quiet guy. You he's know, a he's, quiet guy. Seems like he? the kind of guy that's probably got a group of friends where he cuts loose around. But it's not going to be you. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's interesting. Did you? And uh, yeah, the people. I mean, are, are you like that out in out in the world? I mean, I, I know, know you have your personality. They might sure. say, but do you? Is there a little group that you go? Well, this is this yeah. is the real me. This is the only me. I think I'm like I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty relatively transparent in all mm. of my uh, uh, endeavors uh, and uh, to to better for better or for worse you know if you are who you are wherever you are then people then when they go like when they feel like they know you they kind of do yeah yeah <laughs> then, like, but then know. what about when you want to get away and just sort of is there a, is there a sort of secret bit of yourself I mean sure. I, I admire and like uh, comedians enormously because I always yeah. think it's it's I know you do many more things than this but yeah but yeah. comedy uh, you know it's such a sort of dangerous thing but I've always always I catch them in repose mm. comedians uh, and um, well, people <laughs> who are very funny basically yeah. and I see the thousand yard stare yeah just the sort of then the eyelids go and <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they just go to a very secret yes, yes. place. Then I, the sadness comes. Well, I know, I know. I, well, no, I'd be tempted to say the sadness or the dark, but sometimes it's just like a, a pre preoccupation. Sometimes maybe it's just thinking I want to think about the next funny thing. I don't know. Yeah, or, well, sure, sure. It's like they're like, all right, I did my hustle. I've made my money for tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I can crawl back into my hole. I wanted to I've asked you a question about that because mm. the, the what, what do you do? do you, uh, oh, maybe it's an obvious question, but when it has gone well not well but particularly when it's not gone well do you how long do you obsess or analyze a little a lot not at all because now you do it again yeah now well i mean that's changed over the years i think i was fueled by the uh, the the constant self-flagellation for like i wouldn't i wouldn't know if it went well oh really okay sure you're just looking for stuff oh yeah looking yeah for stuff you know to like analyze. now like as you i think as you get more professional in whatever you do you can sort of, you know, take it apart how you're going to take it apart, right? So, like, you know, if it didn't work out for the entire show, you got to figure out, well, that couldn't be my fault. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> always the right answer. Yeah. I think always the right answer. <laughs> yeah, this whole idea that there are no bad audiences, that can go fuck itself. <laughs> That's it. I don't know. I don't know who made that up, but you've been on stage enough to know, like, ugh, this one's bad. Oh God, yeah. When they just don't, they, they you really want you think. Well, I don't know why you spent your money doing this because really there must have oh. been, but there must have been better, better yeah. reasons to do this. And I think theater has got to be the hardest. I mean, look, with comedy, I know when they're they're bad, and I know when they're just not. They don't have the energy. You can't bring them all together. What are yeah, you going to yeah. do? So. As time goes on, you realize the professional liabilities that you yeah. know you may not be responsible for, and you don't take it as personally. Do you get out quickly if you know it's like going bad? Did you go right? I'm cutting twenty minutes out. No, of this you kind of got to do your job, don't you? I'm one of these people that like if it's going bad, I might just lean into it and sit up there for a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. And, because I'm, like I don't want if 
if they if they can leave saying I tried. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like, but do you fess them out with it? Do you say you do you, 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 do? Does the story become why it's not working? Kinda, sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. not afraid to do that. Some of the old Jewish guys would say that's unprofessional. You should just take the hit, suck it up, and you know do your. I just remember one time I did that in front of Freddie Roman. Uh, you know, sort of a. Kind of one of the uh, the sort of mid-level Borscht Belt guys. He's like, you never bring, you don't draw attention to the bombing. And I'm oh, like, really? I I was saving face. I don't know who are you. <laughs> like, uh, do you, and do you when you when that goes well and when the yeah. attention to the b- bombing gets some good material? Yeah. Do you say, right, I'm going to take those three lines. I'm putting those in the back pocket. And I'll, I'll, I'll have that. Sure, I think over escape patch stuff with repetition. You know, like you you kind of develop lines that I mean, are, I don't use any you know hack lines, but like. There's one I'm using right now because like uh, I'm, I'm fluctuating. I'm doing this new hour, hour and a half, and but there's one chunk of it that's fairly you know uh, political and a little in your face and a little you know intense. And then I uh, towards the end of it, I go, look, if you don't like this tone, uh, it's a character I'm working on. It's uh, it's called me half the time. <laughs> so I think I could use that anytime. No, this is good. This is good. You yeah. never did stand up? Uh, no, no. And I, uh, I, well, I've always been fascinated by. It. I always like to go. And I was, uh, for me, it's 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 very very scary. I get vicarious thrills and chills and spills. You friends with any? Uh, yes. And I, uh, my uh, admiration for the ones who, the ones particular, well, in any gig, but the ones who hold the big gig and the yeah. big audiences, yeah. that seems to me terrifying. You're talking earlier on about you know theatre being tough, but of course, if you're in a play and it's not going well, you can just doggedly get to the end and you can live with their indifference but just that aching aching you yeah, know tumbleweed yeah. of fuck it's not yeah. it isn't they're not yeah. laughing yeah. that that's uh, you know that's when i want to run for the hills and when they stay yeah. you know whether it's through belligerence or just no i'm doing the material regardless well yeah or, you got it, it, right? it's pretty exciting you know but well, that it, moment it's terrifying it's just so sweaty yeah, it's, that, you're up there with them yeah that moment when you're dying you're like I'm really alone. Ah, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a freeing, horrible moment. When you're tanking and you just delivered something that should have gotten a laugh and there's nothing. It's not just silence. There's a there's a suction to it. There's a vacuum to it. Yeah. And you're just sort of like, they're just waiting. Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I'm supposed to do something now. That moment, it's sort of like, what a horribly beautiful loneliness this is. Well, I'm that. right here in front of everybody. I like that beautiful loneliness thing because the, 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 there's also the, it's a rhythmic thing as well, isn't it? When you have haven't when somehow it's gone off it got missed it got missed and yeah, yeah. and getting them back lassoing them back you're gonna have to start all uh, over again and you're already feeling discomfort boredom sure tip 10 teensy bit of aggression sure i'll, um, I'll go a full aggression sometimes yeah so i just start like you, you know like uh, i think it's gotten a little tempered over time and i don't think they take it as seriously but i'll i'll tell them to go fuck themselves let's you know let's do like what's the matter with you but but usually it's just sort of like i kind of get off on the idea that i think there's something to be said with it, when you have a certain amount of self-belief that if they're not with you, it's like, and you know it's not your fault, just keep going, man. Yes, yeah, You know, yeah, usually yeah. you're going to get a, like a handful of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and then I about that. Yeah, and then I'll just go like, it's interesting that four of you laughed out of that out of 200. And I just, <laughs> I want you all to know that those people are right. They, they're, they're correct in this situation. So don't look at them judgmentally. Look inside. <laughs>
I like the keep going thing. I think that is such a simple but necessary one foot in front of the other. Yeah, it makes I don't you know. want to cry, man. Yeah, it's well, just like yeah. Well, it's just you I, mean in general I, or in, in comedy? general? I in comedy in sport. I love it. It's effort. It's yeah. just that always makes me cry. Yeah, is is just is just effort when it's just it's inglorious uh, and no one else. They won't know until thirty years from now when they're running yeah. the video with the with the sappy music and everything. Yeah, so yeah. you know he was great yeah. and this was a wonderful moment in his life. Yeah. You know the one we didn't pay any attention to at all right. that broke him spiritually yeah um that i just that grit of people getting on with it i love that carlin love needs that. to do a bit about the introduction the introduction montage uh to the old wide world of sports show you know the 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 victories it was like the victories and the defeat it was like i don't know if it was cosell but it was at the beginning of the wide world of sports which yeah. was a show uh, like a sports highlight show back in the day yeah and they'd show guys winning but there was this one shot of this guy doing a nordic jump yeah. the skis uh, and he just like, has the worst wipeout in the world uh, and he's sort of like i'm sure this guy's happy this is on every week <laughs> it's like hans hans you're on the, you're on again it's your bit come and see you know the bit when you break yeah, your exactly. face yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. So, comedy aside, well, I don't know. This movie's. Yeah, I want to talk about Shakespeare though for a minute, because it was interesting. Like, I watched the movie. I enjoyed the movie, the Belfast movie. Thank you. It was very good. The black and white thing. That that's not always a surefire thing. But I thought you had a nice tone to it. I don't know what you shot it on or how that worked, but. We shot it digitally. I mean, we, we used uh, old-fashioned lenses. We actually used the anamorphic lenses that we used on our film of Shakespeare film of Hamlet years mm. ago. Those lenses, that was the big one for you. Yes, it was. It was. And actually, those lenses were used in Lawrence of Arabia, you know, 35 years previous. David Lean's well. lenses? Yeah, yeah. You got yeah, Lean's guy to I get got, you the lenses? I got the Lean's lens. I got the lens lens. You try saying that. We made <laughs> it into lenses. a speech exercise. Yeah, the Lean's lenses. <laughs> but yeah, the Shakespeare thing, like, and I, what, what's interesting about watching this movie Belfast and, and knowing it's about you and that you made it, it's sort of like at the end of it, when you leave to London as a kid, there's part of me that's like, then what happened? Yeah. Like, that kid doesn't look like he's going to learn Shakespeare. You bet he doesn't, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but my parents had no... I mean, we didn't have... I guess you... I don't know if you... We made, well, I guess we do make a point of it in the in the thing. There weren't any books in the house, you know? Now, these these yeah, not, not, not too stupid people remotely, but they just... They got all... You know, sort of all culture came in uh, orally and all oh, they read newspapers, uh, but... Um, or we went to the library. I remember the first book I ever bought. I bought a book in Woolworths, yeah. in Reading, near, uh, which is where I moved to, about 40 miles outside London. Right. Uh, 25 pence or five shillings. Um, so quite a bit of my um, pocket money. Bringing it back and my father being really shocked. He said, uh, well, what do you want to buy that for? What yeah. are you going to do with it? You've yeah. read it now, yeah? Yeah, oh, you, right. right. Well, now what do we do with it? You, yeah, exactly. Now what yeah. we do with it? I said, well, we keep it on the show. So they've got libraries for that. Why would you? Why would we pay taxes for you to go and borrow them from the library? You can uh, take them back and you won't get... You know, get stuck with them. Where are we going to put them? Right. Well, we'll you know maybe we can what get book a, was it? a bookcase. It was it was a like a a mystery five person mystery, the Lone Pine, the Lone Pine Adventures. It was uh -huh. like a just a gang, you know, right. you know, like a Hardy adventures. Boys kind yeah, of thing. exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Book. exactly. So that, well, that's interesting. It seems like you know this taxes seems to play a, a very heavy and important part in your childhood. <laughs> like, there's not a there's not a scene in this fucking movie <laughs> where taxes aren't involved. Well, the arrival the, the arrival of the brown envelope was 
was a scary thing. You know, my father worked in the building trade and there was something in Ireland at that time called the lump, which was a, a, a sort of system for, um, in theory, helping the, the, the difficult to account for, you know, groups of lads all over the country doing building projects and stuff. And it wasn't easy pre-digital Some age. international as well, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. And, um, and you know, it's, uh, the idea was that people paid their taxes appropriately, but in practice, you know, it was a little more fluid than that. Right. Um, and uh, he got caught out a couple of times with, you, you know, the, the contention that he had not been, you know, entirely accurate with the way he'd filed and, things. Anyway, they got him. They got him. And this thing, you know, made for quite the uh, household uh, issue. Yeah. Uh, because it seemed like, we were, you know, he was never done paying with taxes. But it was all very interesting to me in that, you know, I'm an American and, you know, I'm not dumb. But, you know, historical stuff, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't I don't know how the trouble started. I don't mm -hmm. know what that looked like. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, I love Ireland. I, I never shut up about moving there. I don't know why. I don't I don't know why I think they're going to embrace the aggravated Jew. But, <laughs> but, but there's part of me that thinks it's such a beautiful country. But I know nothing of the history. What is it then that attracts you? Is it that it's green? Is it that they have lovely music? Is that it's well, a small I, island? Is I, it I, the I, storytellers? I, what is it? I just like the weight of it. I'm not sure. It, you know, there, there's a greenness to it, but there's also an integrity to the people and there there's something that is so symbiotic between the people and the land and what my my notion of of the uh, poetry and history of the place yeah. you know these are these are heavy cats yeah, yeah you, you know yeah. but they they've 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 kind of got a fairly good disposition around it yeah yeah now what do you feel about the the, the thing in Ireland that always strikes me is that I, I'm, I'm with you on all those things and I find it beautiful but also it's a small island and there are um, you know great cities Dublin Belfast yeah. to name but two um, um, but they can kill you with kindness. You know, it can be it can mm -hmm. be very it's it's something we say in the film about, you know, as she says, uh, we know everybody in every house and every yeah. street, you know, whether we like it or not. I like it. Some people do. Some people don't. As a, as an aggravated Jew, yeah. do you like as it were being in a world where sort of everybody knows your business, as it were? Oh, I don't know. Like I don't know if I was there long enough for that. So mm -hmm. like the, these are reasons why I haven't moved there. Very good you, reasons, you, I think. You know, I talked to Flanagan over at uh, uh, at uh, at Largo. He runs a club here. And he's Irish, and like yeah. he's like, don't, don't, don't buy a house. <laughs> he's like, you know, he, he said that uh, what's his name, uh, Riley John C. Riley bought a place there, down by Cork, right. and uh, he's still a Yank man. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah. like, he said, hey, I'm Irish. I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah, well, there's something the I mean, the Americans particularly respond to their Irish heritage, though, don't they? That I guess so. Seems, seems deep seated. Yeah, you know what? Like what I what I did notice about Ireland is like I spent a lot of years when I started out doing comedy in Boston. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. Boston Irish used to scare the shit out of me. Really? Yeah, because they're hardened, you know, mean people. They the pe the Irish that came to America and cut their path here—that's rough stuff, man. Yeah, they're tough guys. Yeah, they're sure. tough guys. Yeah, yeah. And then you go to Ireland and you see guys that look exactly like them. I'm like, oh god, I'm in trouble. Like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Oh, this is what they're really like. How are this you? This is the indigenous Irish uh, attitude. And were they like t times ten Boston Irish, or were they divided by ten? Were they who, who was the toughest? The, the real McCoy or the or the ones who'd come over? No, the the real McCoy are the you know they're they're in their environment. What mm -hmm. what like, like their 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 burden is their history. Yeah. Where whereas like I, right, I think that in America the burden was like you know fuck with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know yeah. you you know we we came here and you shit on us yeah. and now this is our turn. Yeah, yeah. So you're yeah. like all right, all right, man. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm good. You know? If you were Irish, would you would you, would you give yourself a new name? Do you fancy? Well, I being... can just flip a uh, letter. My my last name's Marin, so yeah. if I just throw the O and the uh, A, uh, you know, like switch it. them up. Moran, Mac, or Moran, 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 Moran. Yeah, Maran. that's Irish, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. 
in the movie, like this is really your life. Well, it's a it's a lots of incidents from the, my early experience. Yeah, and it was basically around going back to visit this time where violence erupted. It came to our street. It came to many streets. What year is that? That was nineteen sixty nine, August of nineteen sixty nine. That's yeah. when it all started. Well, it all started in our street. The the civil rights um, movement that had been part of what was sort of you know going around the world. Actually, riots in Paris in sixty eight. Yeah, I mean, right. it was summer of love and everything. A lot of social political movement. Yeah, a lot yeah. of drugs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And a sense of uh, kind of cultural shifts and everything yeah. was bursting out into the street. Violence was on the streets, and it came to our it came to us in in August of 1969 in North Belfast. Right, and, and this you know the film is about the story of what happened from the moment we realized that was going to be a big, deep, divisive, unsettled time, to the moment when we decided: do you do you uh, move? Do you change or perish? Wait, oh, in terms of once the the Catholic purge happened? Well, after that, it wasn't just a Catholic purge, although that effectively completely reordered our street and how you know and how we lived. So that all uh, that stuff that happened on your street, the barricade, yeah, new new lines drawn out of what were um, you know civil rights issues that became moved into uh, new allegiances inside historically existing existing uh, organizations, and it was that the period that we experienced was more of a uh, at least to the nine-year-old boy that I try and see the picture through the eyes of was more of a sort of wild, wild west scenario, kind of free-for-all, where at the beginning of that period, some of the people who looked to fill like miniature power vacuums yeah. just in, in the local streets, sure. suddenly, you know, tin pot Hitlers, as it might be, Thugs. Who, yeah, who, who basically who weren't necessarily anything to do with political organizations and who but sometimes had, you know, grouses or, you know, kind of grudges against people who um, were already there there was a moment before in a way the the struggle became absolutely defined politically it became much more opportunistic um in terms of um local you know, uh, yeah oppo- uh, yeah opportunities power plays yeah, and yeah. Uh, and yeah and there was and, and for a while of course there was a big question mark about are these people coming back the catholic displacement was the biggest displacement of people in europe in a single city since the well, second that, world war and that was 1969 like yeah. see, that's one of those things historically you know where we talk about things being not that long ago yeah uh, whether it's you know the holocaust the armenian genocide slavery what you know voting rights in, in Ireland I mean the idea that they're put you know pushing Catholics out in 1970 yeah I mean was... like it, and also it's relevant like that's the other thing that like really dawned on me is that when you're really talking about domestic terrorism which is something we're dealing with here in a profound way mm-hmm. that you know that some of these issues resonate yeah, the polar, the, the basically the polarizing element of, of uh, the decision, the invitation, this this uh, idea that if you're not with us, you're against us. It's now time to join a tribe. You may have informally been a part of it. You know, we were, I would call us nominally Protestant. Yeah, uh, and I'd say the Catholics in our street were nominally Catholic, in as much as it provided a sort of structural identity, but it didn't stop any of the kind of normal interplay. There were some things that we were, you know, fascinated by on the other side, but we basically got on. We basically got on, and then a line was drawn that says well you're not allowed to get on you're not allowed to get on we'll make it very difficult for you to get on you'll have to be uh, an outspoken independent if you want to do that and then but still while we were there it was still people the the battle lines hadn't quite been drawn and I think that's part of what underpins the movie is that my parents were trying to uh, understand and analyze whether um, this was this was one of the few times when you could get out basically and also like it was the idea that like how, how do you know when to leave yeah yeah I mean you know there's a lot of people that's that like you know i I, sometimes i ask it 
Yeah. You know, yeah. like and you know, like when you think about the Germany. Yes. It's like some people are like, it'll be okay. This Hitler's not terrible. Yeah. So but but what happened in the film was really that, you know, that your father's or the character of the father, you know, is in this, you know, this situation where he, he you know, he, you know, reacts to violence and and does what he has to do and then the threat of it is going to hang over him sure and also there's an economic opportunity which might be the tipping point the real tipping point for us was something that really happened which was uh, i got involved sort of ad hoc as i recall as i remember anyway it was literally being dragged into a crowd and then carried along by a crowd to what turned out to be the looting of a shop so right. it's a supermarket uh, yeah. very near us and, uh, and that yeah, happened and that happened for sure that happened and when the crazy thing that happened was having gone in there and feeling oh, hey, what do you do i felt like i had to do something you know people around are grabbing things they knew what they were doing i yeah. had not been in a looting before so right. and you were like nine i was right? nine so i'm trying to work out what do you do so i you know some bit of me was mentally going oh this is where the young buck the young person of the tribe goes out and brings back an antelope or something yeah, M- yeah. much meat for winter Right, uh, right, and instead, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I said I could get a family pack yeah, of washing yeah, yeah. powder because I thought, well, that seems sensible. I couldn't even be a proper sort of looter. Yeah, and I yeah. didn't, I didn't go for why don't I get like half a dozen bars of chocolate, you know? Yeah. But I bring that back, and I swear to God, I couldn't even get the door open. She saw my mother, just told me she knew what was she knew what was happening. Yeah. And she came after me. She came after me. She caught me up the street and just dragged me straight back. And we went back into that supermarket. And that was the tipping point. Tipping point because after that, she realized that. You she just she just got caught up in the madness that this whatever this adrenalized furious mob activity uh, was was doing to us all suddenly she was back in a place where we were i mean guns were being fired yeah. you know the stones glass right. it was dangerous and um and she was out of control we were out of control and that i think for her was the was the the, the tipping point because if it could happen then it could happen again she sure. was just about to be pregnant with my sister or she just was little did we know and so uh that the volatility basically that right. volatility and that, your dad had the the offer for the job yes he had the offer for a job no nobody really wanted to go we had the we had the big extended family we had we had the the sort of it takes a village to raise a child idea we lived it whether we liked it or not around the block like your yeah. grandfather was there yeah and everybody but we knew everybody we knew yeah, everybody sure, in the street sure, you sure. just you just did you just yeah. did and and the thing that i remember so clearly about that time was that i i you couldn't get lost we were going to football matches i played football for the school you'd go to the other side of belfast you coming back in on a bus on your own you know this sure. is, was no there was no yeah. school runs there was no right. being you know we were walking to school when we were five years old through the park and right. you know and on our own and this right. was completely normal you yeah. know because if anything had happened to you like 50 people would go would shout and your mum would know about it and like you know yeah, before in you 30 even got seconds yeah yeah, you know? yeah so and that was pre-digital pre-phones yeah. and stuff and yeah so, well, i thought you captured that really well i, I think the neighborhood element and also you, you know the tone of of you know the the beginning of the sh- of the strain but the family strain then the music was really nice a lot of sort of irish uh pop songs and yeah yeah and mr there. van morrison yeah, sure yeah. a little bit you got to do that right you yeah to. yeah well, he's belfast boy yeah. he calls himself a corner boy you know he grew up on the street and he when i was uh at this age we all i knew was there was a guy called van morrison who was one of ours who just had a hit with a, with a, a hit it was like a like a two-year chart success with astral weeks you know oh, was, was which he'd written at sort of great. 25 26 it's great and, it's a great uh, album yeah it is with with belfast characters yeah. in it also yeah, so yeah, he yeah. Had taken to the world characters like madame george, madame george from the streets yeah. of belfast 
first. Yeah, amazing. Swim slow slider. I love that one. That last yeah. one. That's yeah. so sad. I don't even know why it's sad. I don't know what's going on <laughs> in the song, but it's well, sad. He well, he always went his own way. He always goes his own way. And he, well, I remember at like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, uh, he, hearing uh, "Rave on, John Dunn." I couldn't believe it. So rave. Set, we were doing the metaphysical poets at school. I didn't even, even know what metaphysical meant, but sure. we, we had to study them. And John yeah. Dunn was one of them. And I knew that he had nothing to do with rock music or pop right. music. Yeah. And here was Van Morrison in this kind of meditative, introverted uh, reverie, this incantation of an Elizabethan poet yeah. from the guy from down our way, um, who 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 was kind of was 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 in the well, well in his own slipstream, in his own Celtic yeah. kind of twilight. Um, and I I I was very drawn to the uh, just the you know individual artistic journey i wouldn't have known to put it in those terms then but just this is a guy who always followed his own nose right and also like he's like you know he's obviously getting something out of this thing i have to do and he has to do it we see he was here at bell we were that premiered the film at belfast last week and he was there and he was talking about touring he's saying i don't enjoy i don't enjoy performing at all he said but i have to do it i have to do it yeah. I mean, and he, he said it like it, you, there was no spin. He was not being charming or oh, listen to the quirky facts of my right. life. It was just no, had to be done. And you'll know if you've seen him. You know, often people say, "Christ, I went to see Van, and he, he literally never turned and faced us the whole the whole of the show. Huh. He was just he turned away, and he was in in his in his own you know relationship so he's still, to the yeah, music. Sure, he's still a, a weirdo. Yeah. Well, he's still you know he's an individual. <laughs> yeah. He's highly individual, and uh, uh, you know, and and he's also experimented with all those kind of music musical personalities as well do you did you know what a great muso you are and and do you do you um uh, do you find you that, that that your musical personality has changed i mean and do, do you in terms like, of what i like yeah in terms of what you like but also how you like to play and what you sure, like to I mean, play I'm, well, and, I'm still and do like you I, make yourself do that well, do you mean, make yourself take those turns well it's for me it's just like i'm no great player but i i think that if i can do it honestly and that evolves you know a certain mm-hmm. confidence and what i get out of it and different tones and things but with music that i listen to there's still like the the music's a magic thing because you know you have a lifetime relationship with it and and i think i guess i'm imagining not unlike shakespeare that you know whenever you approach these things that you love either whether it be music or or those plays you know as you age they evolve with you yes so that that this sort of the the that i think is the true essence of of genius is that you know you can approach something that you're familiar with at different points in your life and find something totally different in them. So do you find then with music that it's actually quite it's sort of it's, it's a narrow field, but you go deeper and deeper and deeper. As I you do go like with life. Van Morrison, like you know, I went through a period for. I'm not a huge Van Morrison fan because like he's 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 kind of a lot to deal with. Mm-hmm. But like there like certainly Astral Weeks and some of the them stuff. Yes, like yeah. I know I, I listened to that. You know I I listened to Astral Weeks a, a, a lot. Yes, not really that long ago when i when when i sort of realized well this is this is the one yeah how interesting but i thought that in the in the film like when you were you decided to do it in black and white and you kind of yeah. fade into the black and white from the beginning from modern belfast and then and then you pull out into modern belfast but in these memories there's even the moment where like it seems poignant and obviously intentional and from your point of view as the child in the theater where you do sort of a fairly unusual close-up for the film of the actors, yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. They're like the, I'm like, I get it. This is where he kind of realizes this is a thing. 
Well, what I tell you, what I realized was was how amazing. I mean, we watched films, uh, big widescreen saturated sure. Technicolor films, which would blew my mind with all the color. Yeah, but it, that felt like going to the moon when I first. The Chitty Chitty Bang Bang scene is very funny. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. It, it, it made a big it made a big difference to us. Sure, but but when we went to see a live theater, in this case, the piece in the film is from uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Yeah, and uh, I just couldn't believe that they were really on the stage. We could see you could reach out and touch them. Right. So suddenly that was the beginning of going well. If they're there and we're all in Belfast, but they're at the other side of this footlight. Yeah, little slow penny dropping. Go, maybe I could yeah. do that because I know I can't be in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I know we can't go to America. I know you can't make films because I've been looking around the back of the telly to try and find where the little people live and they're not there. Sure. And you've so, proved that wrong. And exactly, the- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so it was like, well, there must be. I guess these guys turn up, don't they? They arrive. They've come to the same building as I have. There was this slow dawning of, well, that that's what's gettable. That's right. what's made be achievable not consciously then but it's a human undertaking yeah it's a human undertaking as opposed to flying to the moon which would be making films sure so but i thought you know all in all that you know the moments you chose and the narrative you chose in the arc that how long did you sort of like have to piece together the script to decide which of these because it is a series of 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 scenes that you know they 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 seem they're 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 all continuous, but they they almost seem unto themselves until you kind of go. Yeah, the the well, one thing that I absolutely told myself I would do is to follow my instinct about it. So you know I've been involved with a lot of films, a lot of script development, where there's so much talk about conventional or unconventional structure, talk yeah. about story arcs and narratives and acts, and three acts, right. five acts, whatever right. it is. Right. And you know you you develop it trying to sort of de- deconstruct those things or, or you know perfect them. Yeah. And in this case. I knew it was a memory piece. I knew I wanted to go through with incidents. So I did a sort of low-tech version of just endless cards with yeah. specific incidents in right, it. That's and right, that's right. And I played around with where they might go and what might put it together. An original draft of the of the screenplay had the older buddy. Yeah. He had him looking back. It was a bit more like the structure of a film like Cinema Paradiso, where at the beginning, mm. an older character finds out somebody who was very important to him has passed away, and he goes back to that town and revisits it, and we go with him, and we go into the past with him. I tried that. It didn't work for me. In, in a way, in a way, I was kind of anti-structure. I was anti-formality. I was anti. Uh, I, the, for me, it was going to be something that just just had to satisfy me in some way. And in, in a way, back to the Irishness we were talking about. If it was uh, whatever you know, quasi poetic or whatever you might just call it. If it was just if, if it was faintly stream of consciousness, yeah, that was going to be okay with me too. If it was impressionistic, if it was about waiting outside that girl's house, or if it was about you know food, some scenes that got dropped from the movie, the yeah. daft things we had to eat, yeah. But um, it was about it was about the yeah the. The memory and this thing that I read a line that the uh, psychiatrist wrote about, you know, the facts of our lives, uh, the facts of our lives are less important than how we remember them. So I felt coming into this, you know, I'm going to worry less about facts or structure, but I am going to I'm going to write down what I remember. I'm going to see if any of it goes together, if any of it falls together. And and the modern structure that I tried to impose on it fell apart when it became clear that it was about. Uh, understanding as a now 60 year old guy an incident that happened when I was nine that I began to understand without being sort of tragic about it or sort of uh, martyrish had dominated the rest of my life a relationship to a place where I felt so secure and leaving it 
turning into something else across decades and decades amazing journeys i i don't know how i would have arrived at shakespeare if i had stayed there i don't know maybe i would have done in a different or better or whatever way but although those journeys and those adventures i relish i felt that in a place that is so sort of dominated by a sense of your relationship to home yes. ireland ireland has the relationship to home as a kind of building block of the dna yeah so and yet at the same time nearly everybody from there ruptures it by leaving sure and and you know going all points north south east and west and i'm one of those people but the call of home in the irish culture is so strong and so striking yeah that in a way it took me until we went back to belfast you know the end of last week first night at the belfast film festival 1400 people watching this film together who all knew the story that i felt like i had landed back where i knew i was yeah without getting all sentimental and and you know because i still sound different and i still been away and all the rest of it i still don't live there so how can i be saying this but they I, still they probably own you they do own they own this film now as well yeah and and they and it does own you what's your relationship to home like that do you feel do you feel well i don't know that i have that same type of thing Mm -hmm. you know because i when i was a kid in new jersey my family was from jersey but i remember my grandmother i remember that house i remember feeling you know that community all the relatives were around and my family my mom and dad moved to uh, alaska because mm -hmm. my dad was in the service from new jersey so all of a mm -hmm. sudden we're separated we're in the ice cold and then we moved to new mexico so there was i don't know if there was a longing but they always i always stayed connected to jersey and to that mm -hmm. but then my home became new mexico but i was talking to somebody else about it bill pullman was here you know, even the air in the place where you grew up, like, you know, when you go back there, it is integral to, to your development. Yeah, Just, yeah, yeah. you know, to, the sense of the the ground you're walking, walking on, the tone, the feel, the smell of the... The air. I mean, it's yeah. just a very odd thing. And what would what, what would like what would be the words that come to mind? If you had three words that came to mind about the the, the New about Jersey, New Mexico, or New, New Jersey, Jersey and New Mexico, I'd love to hear the difference. Well, I think like the the words that come to, to mind for me about New Jersey is is just you know my grandmother and uh, you know like uh, 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 melon balls, yeah, and uh, humidity. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and what yeah. about New Mexico? Well, New Mexico, well, that was different. Just, a, you know, a big sky. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, uh, a feeling of, of, I wouldn't say spiritual space, but an, an expanse that, that allowed my, you know, my, my brain to feel sort of free. That's so interesting. I, I know New Mexico a little bit. I've worked there a few times, and I was very, very, I loved being yeah. there. And Big Sky is exactly what I carry away from that. And this feeling, all, all, it, all I'm saying is that you, you the, the power of environment oh, yeah. on the spirit, you know, is, is, sure, is, is, is. is, is tangible. And there is a spectacular extreme example yeah. of a kind of a expansion. Yeah. Uh, I felt different things when I was down sure. there. I loved exploring there. Yeah. I loved it. And I did some pilgrimages down there up to Taos, New Mexico. Sure. There. D.H. Lawrence uh, uh, sort of migrated there as a, for, he did this sort to, of yeah, global yeah. search for a for a for an ideal community. Yeah, and then Dennis Hopper. Did, yeah, exactly. Did. Well, everybody was looking. But, so that particular part of the world has something special, but its space is unique. I and, went to I went to Hopper's grave the you? last time I was there. Yeah, I found it. It's in this strange little. Um, a Mexican cemetery that looks like a parking lot. Yeah. And it's like one of these kind of like, you know, kind of very, kind of, uh, like uh, almost like um, rough kind of grave. Yes. Yeah, when, yeah. And people travel there to leave things. Yeah. But it's like a traditional kind of Mexican wooden cross, yeah. no frills. Yeah. Just there. You had you got to look it up to find out. I went twice. Yeah, I and understand they, that. And then people, and it's like, right, it's off the beaten path and uh, outside of Taos. 
And like, you know, I just spent a few days in Taos. I was in a profound amount of uh, grief and I was just like trying to, you know, you know, kind of figure out how to ground myself. And I just went on hikes every day and it was stunning up there. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't spend much time there. I used to ski there when I was a kid. I went there to sit under the same tree as I saw D.H. Lawrence sit under when he was composing his book Mornings in in, in New Mexico. Yeah. Mornings in Mexico. Yeah. And uh, so there's a famous, he was outside a, a cabin that Mabel Dodge Lewin had provided uh-huh. for him. She was part of that Georgia O'Keeffe yeah, yeah. artistic community. With Stieglitz and, in and, them? Yeah. And that, and that, that, that sort of that ritual of going to places like that a little while it's ago. It's so funny you go for for D H uh, Lawrence. I go for Hopper. Well, this is yeah, the, yeah. They say two mavericks, sure, I mean, two, sure. yeah, two yeah. real mavericks, and two two controversialists. Yeah, I mean Lawrence was there partly because nobody else would have him. Yeah, you know right. he'd been chased out of Britain. He'd been accused of pornography with the Rainbow and Lady Chatterley's lover. Later on, became yeah. a great cause celebra. Yeah. Um, no, he was, uh, he, and he was a, a restless guy, like I imagine Hopper was. Oh my God! So, so talk about itchy feet. So, I mean, you you can do a world odyssey following Lawrence and trying to work out what he was trying to find in the countries that he went to to settle this unquiet heart. What did he find? Well, there he found sort of you know artistic companionship. Mm. He had a sort of patron. I think he was always looking for somebody to say, uh, Bert. Everybody called him Bert. He, he's David Herbert Lawrence. Sure. Um, and uh, working class guy. Yeah. You know, but very sort of ethereal, very p- poetic. And I guess he, he wanted somebody who would let him get on with the work that he was doing that he knew he was doing under the almost certain threat of early death because he was, he was thin and tubercular and, oh. uh, and he lived with that, that kind of thing. So to, to, I, I felt going to Taos that I, I just I was in that world of it, it, it reflects back on you, your own searches for, for peace of mind. And yeah. here was somebody trying to find it for a minute in a beautiful picture it looked like he'd found it under this tree so i went to try to the to the source i wanted to go to the yeah. the source of that and see if i felt different now i had a beautiful experience i don't know if i got any quieter in my own mind but it was a a beautiful thing to do i did it recently in england with the grave of thomas hardy the great sure. novelist thomas yeah. hardy and again like you say you go to these you go to these churchyards and i don't know maybe the universe works it out in both cases nobody was around i just i know you roll up in in a weird way you yeah. have your profound moment yeah. with dh lawrence or thomas hardy sure. And and it's uh, I don't know it, sure. it, it's it's very helpful in some weird way. Oh yeah, I I mean I went to Lowell to see the grave of Jack Kerouac. Yeah, and I, you know, yeah. and then yeah for, for whatever that was worth. But yeah, there well, a lot I would think. I think so. I I do think so. But you know, you're but, taking you're taking your relationship to Kerouac there, aren't sure, you? Sure, but like but you know this is a romantic idea. Right, it's a it's a romantic idea yeah. that to go and to have it because like I've been in those situations yeah. where you're like I want to feel this thing. Yes, yeah, yeah. But ultimately, like you know what what you feel if you let that feeling kind of play itself out is is loss. Yes, I would agree. But yeah, and I would agree. But but also processing that is good. But you are also honoring. You are yes, of course honoring this passion. But you're for not this gonna, right. But you're not going to be. You're not going to become them. No, you're not going to become but, yeah, them. But there's part of you that's sort of like this will feed me. I think it does, and I think yes. you kind of kiss the hem of their spiritual garment. Okay, and you say thank you. I say you. I think you are. You are saying thank you. This, you know, this this movie is about sort of in a way honoring my parents without, but well, without sort of self righteousness or sort of po facedness. 
It's just I wanted to say to them and I wanted to say to the nine year old me, well done. Thank you very much. Very imperfect. Uh, but, you know, you this simple phrase always rings with me. You know, you, when you, you're in trouble, or you're finding life difficult. And you look at somebody who's annoying the bejesus out of it and you say, when you find a way of saying you are doing your best and so is everybody else. That's what you somehow have got to have in your mind. I wanted to go back and find out and understand that I was doing my best. My parents were doing the best because I think there's basically an enormous amount of guilt about having left. You know, there's a scene in the film where the kid is crying on the sofa. I don't want to leave Belfast. He didn't want to go. For me, that was also, I don't want to go. I don't want to grow up. I don't want to accept exactly what you were just talking there, which is the sort of center of this film, loss. How do we deal with, how do we deal with loss of identity, loss of family, loss of nation, and then critically, powerfully, awfully, loss of loved ones. You know, you know, and he, you know, this this was the beginning of the wrenching us into this, you know, moment, this crossover, the moment, if you like, when you know that Santa isn't real if, if, if yeah, Christmas and Santa sure. is in your life. Um, and so this idea that the grandparents just weren't weren't going to be around, you know, that as a way of organizing the human condition, I wanted already to go, God, please, there has to be another way of doing this, doesn't there? Or yeah. can you please give me, it can be in any avenue, it could be religious, it could be, you give me an epiphany, give me a vision, sure. but tell me that I'll see him again sometimes, will yeah, you? Yeah. Or there'll be a place, or that we can talk, or, or tell me how to understand what'll seem like trite remarks for a long time about, but they'll be in your heart, you'll carry them with you everywhere i remember a friend of mine put his arms around me the morning after my father died and uh, i was in a state of course and he How said i was 46 or yeah. something you know and my mother had died two years previously mm. and i remember my, one of my dearest friends who'd driven me faster than any car he drove me and my wife when they got the call we'd just been at the hospital we just got back to the house and and the hospital rang and they said your father is very ill would you care to reattend what a phrase that was yes. Would you care to reattend christ we know so immediately i got on the phone to my sister i said i think he's going he's good we've got to get there now this friend drove me i, I swear to god we leapt over um i mean it, we, we nearly died getting there but yeah. we got there and we got there and and he was there and he we were able to let him go and and i, I said you can go dad i love you very much and and you heard that death rattle and uh, it was an amazing thing to see the next morning i'm still trying to process it my sister got there just too late my brother's just flying in from australia that day that's going to be a horrendous thing to be uh, you know on at you know yeah. outside that fucking you know yeah. dip, uh, arrivals hall but this friend put his arms around me and he said you know it's all right and i remember screaming it's not fucking all right yeah you know and i went outside and i just howled and howled and howled i didn't also i didn't know what to do with my body yeah. i'd leant down and i knelt and i couldn't i couldn't even literally put myself in a physical position that dealt with this what this thing was that was being dragged out of me which is just the impossibility of accepting that um it was going to happen i had been in complete denial about it through the whole he had lung cancer in the end and and i just as far as i was concerned it could always be solved it could be solved because we get the thing we yeah, do the yeah, thing yeah, we get sure, the new medication sure. we did the thing we get yeah. the whatever whatever and just the beginning of that was back in belfast was somehow that was the beginning of uh, you know going wide. it was the beginning it's like films like frankenstein and stuff where a man is trying to create something in order to defeat death it's films like hamlet where it's all about what the fuck does this mean yeah um 
and 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 you know the, the some somehow it, i wanted to go back and sort of look at the moment where the the kid was sort of going well here we go here we go let's go human let's right. go human sure. i've done nine years i've been fine i'm all settled i thought it was fine yeah and f- no it, it it isn't going to be so let's get ready to cope with all the all the you know salt and pepper and seasoning but, but of you know but was fascinating uh, uh, that was an amazing journey that you just described to me but like in the film you know after he has that fit that when he does have whatever that nine-year-old version of understanding and acceptance of the change Mm. you know it's earned Mm. and and there is a tangible uh a sense that he understands his parents fear after that thing that happened in the street yeah that like that you know no matter how much he loved his grandparents or anything else you could feel the danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and, and that thing that was what was so true of times like that. It, it was true in the westerns I saw, but it really was true on the streets there and in those societies. If somebody said, you know, they're coming for you, don't you? They're going to come. They're, there's no question. That's not. That's not like a. That isn't like a line from a movie. That's horrible, awful, in the middle of the night. Sure. You know, or not. They don't even knock. It's just. It's. Uh, and you know, there's a litany. You know, thirty-seven hundred dead in those uh, thirty years Ugh. of trouble. You know? So, but like you know, in listening to you, it seems that whatever this quest is, where you know your sort of uh, your sensitivity and 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 your uh, you know disquiet spiritually, like I always sense that ab- uh, about you when I watch you. I'm like, you know, I there there was an earnestness to the trajectory of your career. There was an ambition to it. But there was always the concern to me is like, I don't know if this guy's ever going to find it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, my mother said, you know, you could never sit still. That's what she said. You right. could never sit still. And I think that the- But that's I, hard e- emotionally and spiritually, isn't it? Yeah. Psychologically. Yeah, I think, but I think there's something to what you say about a sort of- um, Something, uh, you know, of again without sort of sort of aggrandizing yourself because a trillion trillion people do it in different ways. Yeah, being a seeker, a seeker right. of sure. so you sure. know you try, and I but you don't I, know what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I suppose you know I meditate and I re- I've read every self help book. Uh, you know, uh, under God's heaven. You so, know, yeah, but, but yeah. So you, <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's something to seeking. I mean, there's one thing about seeking. Like, there's a lot of ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. But if you've got that existential itch where you're like, how how is this not enough? Well, it's I not mean, about it's not about being enough. I think it's about how do you. Feel, I think you you do this very well because you li- you kind of live in the process. You live in sometimes the rage. You live in the. Well, well I think what yeah. it is for me, it's like how do I feel like in you know okay with myself? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And where where more often than not you can take breaths or moments or okay. minutes or hours where nothing's going on, but nothing you know where there is a kind of positive middle of your experience. Yeah, I know. You know? I tried to meditate. I was doing meditation for a while. I can quiet it down. Mm. But to what end? You know, I don't, it's, not by, it's not like, okay, now I'm going to start my day. I'm going to meditate for 15 minutes and then I, I start my day. And, and how is that helping me? Well, I think it, it allows other things to come in. I mean, you know, do, uh, do, I guess. Do, do you, it's a kind of, it's a mental tidy. It's a kind of, yeah, you yeah, know, I get somebody it. described it to me, interestingly, as, uh, do you ever been on a retreat? I said, no, I haven't. So how do you fancy going on a retreat twice a day? You know, that's yeah. what meditation Does is. You do, just yeah. go and stop for a bit. Is it working for you like that? Well, I think you give the mind a rest. You know, you go and sleep at how night. How long have you been doing it? I've been doing it 20 years. 
Like TM or just you know another thing? Uh, another thing with a mantra. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, it's half and it an works hour for each you. day. I I would say that it's essential to me. I don't know that it works for me all the time. I think that there's no bad meditations. However, yeah. I think that sometimes the best ones are the ones where that racing mind has been talking the whole time. But you do slow it down. I do. And for yeah, me, yeah, it's yeah. helpful. For yeah. me, it's helpful. Like I do that with guitar. But like it strikes yeah, me. you're in the zone with guitar, aren't you? Go to another bit. place that yeah. nothing else is. You know, you're 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 in flow. As yeah. It yeah. Were. Exactly. But like, I mean, it has to be something, I mean, when you do leave Belfast, right? So what is, is England as scary as your family was afraid of? Were you treated like, you know, like these Irish mutts? Were you like... (laughs) And how did you lose the accent? Does it come back when you go to Ireland? No, it doesn't. I think that the uh, um, too young. Yeah, well, too young, and also too too. I kind of I feel as though somehow that that I've I've never been one of those actors. I know a lot who who, who are who are. As soon as you're in another place, you start being the other carry. You know, you pick it up. You start sounding like where you are. And I felt as though I had to sort of find an, a new person that wasn't um, that wasn't because I felt so bereft from the attachment and the, the the security of being in the extended family yeah uh that that once we as a family we went in on ourselves we were i think quiet protected we wanted to keep our head down we were living in a place that had a lot of families with sons in the army mm. a lot of them who were over where we just come from a lot of them who were you know under the cosh in terms of the violence a lot of people who died so we wanted to be quiet really or at least i did you know and i think it was super tough for my mother she got very bad postnatal depression after she had my sister mm. um there was a lot of yeah you know, family dramas and you know my brother had a lot of you know kind of as she said about my brother who's a wonderful guy she said he, he he rolled around the playground by which it meant she, you know he was in a fight every day yeah um but he found his way um but we just quietened down it became i, I became solitary and i started to say less and then when i started to ultimately across two or three years i just wanted to fit in so you start sounding a little bit english and then a lot english and then you 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 know you just get on with that and you've you've acquired what you think is in relative terms an authentic sort of position uh-huh. and you maintain it when all the family come over oh, it goes sound in english now so well i'm here now you know yeah. i'm here now i'm trying to fit in um and i'm whatever 9 10 11 12 years old and everything uh but uh and when it, does the acting start well the acting starts at about about 16 i guess um i knew you know we had three i went to the careers interview at school i was at a comprehensive school yeah. which is a, 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 what a public school for you guys uh uh, and um, they said three careers available to you here in Reading uh, insurance uh, British Rail yeah. or the Army uh, what do you fancy <laughs> I said well I'd like to be an actor and they handed me a piece of paper and it was just one one side of A4 and the opening sentence was a lo- an empty theatre is a lonely place you no longer hear the sound of applause it was basically 80% of the profession are out of work at any one time is it really what you want to do they have Perhaps, it prepared they have it prepared clearly they clearly back then in 1970 <laughs> 77, they were saying, Jesus, don't don't send any more, you know, to, to the circus. We yeah. don't need any more of that. So, uh, but I was loving school plays and amateur dramatics and beginning to realize that um, there were places that you could go to learn to do this thing. And, of course, I ran to it because p- plays were families. Plays were, were groups of people where, and I felt happy in, in those groups, those larger extended groups. Um, but it seems like for a guy like you giving this, you know, this quest of, uh, of whatever it is, that to not only have that family thing, but to to have a full character, especially something like Shakespeare, mm-hmm. where all the answers are given to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that like you know, and to immerse yourself in that, 
you know, must have been, you know, almost like uh, transform transformative. You're right about this. You know, there was something about f filling filling what would have been a life where you plugged into every dimension of your family and it would be utterly immersive. And I basically had gone into myself to the point where in my adolescence, my parents regularly sat me down with my brother and said, why don't you ever bring any friends around? Right. Do you have any friends? You know, yeah. they were really worried about me. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't see it that way. I saw it as kind of protecting myself. But yes, when I became interested in acting, the focus, even I, when I look back at it now, it was an unbelievable focus. Yeah. Uh, a local Amsterdam guy, guy gave me a box of copies of a magazine called Plays and Players. I read them encyclopedically. I mean, and for a, probably a good 20 years in this business, I could have told you who played the third butler in the fourth episode of Cold It's on television. I could yeah, have said, yeah. you know, I could have, you know, told you he was in every production of the National Theatre in England through the 1960s when John Lennon's play was on there in his own right, 1966, right. a triple bill that Laurence Olivier presented and they all showed up at the the old Vic. And, huh. and then Anthony Hopkins's first thing, Anthony Hopkins understudying Laurence Olivier going on. Did you Pe see them live, all those guys? No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. But I was told about the night yeah. when Anthony Hopkins uh, was announced. And they said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, remember, Laurence Olivier was, was a, a, a god, a legend. He ran the National National Theatre in England. He was about to play in a, in a play called The Dance of Death by Strindberg, dark yeah. psychological Swedish drama. And man comes on, worst job in the world, ladies and gentlemen. I'm afraid that due to the indisposition of Sir Laurence Olivier, <laughs> goes to the crowd. The part of Edgar in tonight's performance <laughs> of The Dance of Death will be played by Anthony Hopkins. Oh, so I was so I would I had found my outlet. I right. had found my outlet and Shakespeare and your people. Yeah, and well, and Shakespeare was it because for me it was a detective hunt. I didn't understand it. We'd never heard of it. I didn't know how to say it. And yet, in the Irish bit of me that loves language, it got the hairs on the back of my neck going. So I, I you know, I I got my Sherlock Holmes coat on as it were and I said to the school with a clarity and a determination I'd never done before listen I'll do extra work but will you let me off on Wednesdays please so I can see two matinees I can see Albert Finney playing Macbeth in the afternoon Wednesday at the <laughs> National Theatre and if I queue up I can get the student standby and the student standby seats are actually in the front yeah. two rows so I would be able to see Mr. Finney very very close up I could see the whites of his eyes and this is Shakespeare of course uh, sir so that would be mind broadening wouldn't yeah, it right. well alright okay but you are going to have to do the extra essays so I was like um, I was so uh, focused. I saw King Richard recently, the movie with Will Smith about the the, the William Sisters, which is a wonderful film, and he's, yeah. they are all brilliant in it. Will is fantastic. That determination to you know go from humble beginnings to um, you know a long way down the track was for me something that started but had with it what i loved about it was that i had absolutely no expectations it didn't matter to me it was never there was no there was no oh got to win an oscar oh got to win a sure. Laurence olivier award oh i got to play this part whatever yeah. it's just i want to be in this world i want to be in i want to be doing shakespeare i don't i don't, don't care if i'm watching it and there's a great book called hamlet's dresser about a a, a guy who taught shakespeare to octogenarians in in new york it's a beautiful uh, book and his childhood has him staying overnight and sleeping and being summer camp at, 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 at the Shakespeare Theatre in yeah, Connecticut yeah. and for me that would have been fine too just watching just watching would have been fine so I just knew that I'd, in a way I'd died and gone to heaven um, when I found this guy's work and when I found the theater film was still like there was still sure, a trip but to like, the moon. like but for somebody like you it's like it's like there's a whole universe yeah it's almost it seems unending yes 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, so I'm, so I'm, so I'm, I'm spinning on my own particular rock in space through that. But, universe but also, still. it addresses all of the questions that anybody has about life. Well, over it, and over again, it does and doesn't answer them. Except that you, you know, you go through experiences. <laughs> you, it just, it just asks really so, better so, questions. See, this is the the older you after coming through it. Yeah, I, I looked at all of it. <laughs> I've done it all. No answers. <laughs> no one. Really good. Really yeah, good. good questions. <laughs> so that's why I'm meditating and I'm sitting under a tree where D. H. Lawrence was because Shakespeare just didn't deliver it. <laughs> in case I missed something. <laughs> well, do you know what? Well, of course, for me, uh, yeah. the profound experience of doing Hamlet was to, if you look at his the most famous speech in Western yeah. literature, perhaps to be or not to be, right. that is the question. Sure. Uh, a man apparently considering suicide. What is why is life worth living? And he lays out the reasons why. Perhaps with, the, with all the whips and scorns of outrageous yeah. fortune, it is not. Uh, so he asks the question, to be or not to be? What yeah. should we do? By the end of the play, um, when he knows he's going to die, um, and, uh, and and Horatio says, you don't have to take part in this rigged duel, by the way. Um, you know, we can get you out of it. You don't have to die. We know they're going it's, it's to... It's a fixed fight. You yeah. will die. Yeah. Um, and, he, and, and, and Hamlet says, uh, uh, not a wit... We defy augury. There is a special providence in the fall of a sparrow. If it be now, tis not to come. If it be not to come, it will be now. If it be not now, yet it will come. Let be. Yeah. So the big answer is, leave it alone. Yeah. Leave it alone. Yeah. To be or not to be. You know yeah, what? Right. Don't think. Yeah. Don't overthink it. Right. It's all rigged. Don't, it's, it's we all, die. It's a fixed fight. Life. <laughs> life is a fixed fight. The promoters are the only ones who are going to walk away from this with any cash. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, that mo- I think that movie. Well, I mean, look. It, it just seems like who I I talked to uh, Benedict Cumberbatch yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know that guy? I do. Yeah, he's a wonderful actor. Yeah, but do you look at him like the young gun? Here he comes. No, I, I, listen, I'm too old, too long in the tooth now. I can genuinely say, yeah. good on him. Yeah, good sure. on him. Well, that's and, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he didn't go to the same school. He went to the other school, right? He went, he went to, to a public school. Went to Harrow. Yeah, to Harrow. To the, to but Winston he go Churchill to, School, and then he went to Lambda. Lambda, not, yeah, right. Lambda, not and, Rada, yeah. And, and you're in the other one. I'm in the other one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, what? But but by the time you get there, you're already obsessed with Shakespeare. Yes, you're already doing it. Yeah. you're already engaged in an almost uh, sort of a, a, an obsessive endeavor. Yes, yeah, you're, yeah. You're, they must have been like they must have been open arms. Like you know, well we've got a 16 year old who's like losing his mind over Shakespeare. How often does that happen in the 70s? Well, they 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 you know one of the things that really drove me that the, the Belfast movie is yeah. also partly about is that I wanted to understand and I wanted to bring back I wanted to bring back the Shakespeare to my mom and dad to that house that didn't have any books in. And I wanted, because I knew they could perfectly well understand it and, and experience it and have a view on it, but I just didn't want all the things that get in the way between them, working class people, and so-called elitist or high art. Well, I think that's and, what that movie did. Mm-hmm. Right, Cam, uh, right? Or is it, well, was it Henry V? Well, it? Well, Henry V yeah, was, that was the beginning. The that was, I think, where where the story had such a sort of, uh, to go back to story structure, it had the kind of, sure. you know, great sports movie arc, you yeah. know. Because um, uh, I have a hard time with it, with Shakespeare. I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. You know, sometimes it's like he, w- 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 the, the, the pursuit of literal understanding uh, is, is, is sometimes a waste of time when, when intuitive experiential response to it is fine. 
you know, uh, do you like classical music? Yeah, kind of. I don't know well, anything about it. And though. I don't know anything about it either. I, like you know, it. Yeah. I made one opera film, and that's yeah. really the only opera I know. And when they asked me to do it, I just listened to it obsessively, obsessively, obsessively. So I could probably yeah. talk to you about the magic flute, but nothing else about Mozart. Sometimes I feel bad because people I know love it and say, yeah. my God, you're missing something. But it just, it doesn't, I don't find my way into that uh, means of expression. Sure. And that's okay. But sometimes I am just overwhelmed by something sublime that I can't explain uh, in, in a piece that I might hear. And that, that's fine too. So we can't all like everything, you know? Sure, I know. But like, but yeah, I, I guess I always think, but this is my issue. This is my, uh, relative to your particular uh, kind of uh, dis- discontent or discomfort or, or feeling of uh, incompletion or whatever the fuck it is. It's like, I always feel like, you know, I'm missing something. I, you know, there's got to be a depth here. Like, you no, know, if I don't get it, like if I, if I see something that's complicated or it seems like, like whether it's classical music, I know classical music, uh, I'm missing something because I don't know anything about the context of it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know anything about the composer. I'm, I'm, it's like, sounds pretty. Give, well, give me an example of what, what in another field that you're very familiar with or that, that, that Well, like I'm watching Schilber. the film. Yeah. I'm watching a film that Benedict's in, the, uh, you know, the new one, the Jane yeah. Campion movie. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, at the beginning, I'm like, all right, so this is paced in a very, you know, poetic way, you know, and, and, and then I watch the whole story and it's provocative and it's and it's uh, sparse, but it's clearly a, a piece of art and it's clearly poetry. And I understand the feelings it's giving me. But when I see something like that, I always assume someone knows what's going on. Here. <laughs> but what for you in it been like in music or some other area of your life? Do you go, oh, no, this is everything. I'm understanding. It, and I'm the one who's getting it. I'm the one who's getting it. I'm having. Are you looking for from that experience or from Shakespeare well, an epiphanous moment, if that's a word, where where it all comes together, a sublime thing? You're lost. I, I you're trans- well, that's the problem is the, with me is I think I expect that from everything. Mm. Like I used to do a joke about that. Like every book I have is a self-help book. <laughs> but they're not self-help books. Any book to me is a self-help book. I'm I'm reading a Led Zeppelin biography and I'm like, I have to see myself in here. There's going to be some sort of wisdom that's yeah. going to make my life better. Yeah. So I'm sort of half looking for that type of catharsis from anything. Yeah. And but as I get older and you know I get more intellectually confident, I can have my own opinions and I argued with with Cumberbatch yesterday about his character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like I said like you know cuz you know, what happens to that character and I'm like uh, he d- he said that guy was about to change. I'm like how do you know that? And we <laughs> played the guy. <laughs> and we and we argued about it. And uh but you know I, I had confidence to do that. I, I imagine it's going to sound pretty dumb cuz yeah. he's like he knew where, what was going on. No, I the, the, the I, I would say that that's a you know if I want to be grand about it you say that's a function of art isn't it so right. if you, you might have you sort of brackets quotes missed something but the resultant questions are maybe you know quite uh, elevating and interesting sure, and keep speaking engaging. keep speaking yeah, that's yeah. the thing that you got to let to happen yeah. it's like you know, it's my own insecurity like I didn't get it but I did get it yeah, like, you, did, yeah you got it you got it because you got the you got questions this is something I was talking about with my parents all the time they always yeah. thought there was something that they had to get and I find that's always been a part of, of what's driven me yeah. is this uh, high art, low art thing, you know, and uh, not, you know, being a um, and being from a working class background. But people assuming if they heard about who I was at some point when the Shakespeare thing had kicked in, they assumed that I was from, uh, as it were, an Ivy League university. Sure. And, and, and steeped in all this stuff when I'd come from the entirely the opposite direction. But I wished without diminishing or diluting to make 
my now specialist subject, the interpretation of this stuff, available to all. Right. I believed that this was a good thing, and there's, there's always been... But there's a tension both ways. Sometimes at the higher end of that, uh, you know, an elite group don't want that to be the case. And at the other end of it, I kind of... Um, you know, my, my parents would sometimes feel as though they were ill-equipped or, you know, that kind of stuff's too highfalutin for us or too fancy or whatever. Right. But like you, they'd come and see... They came over. We had an amazing trip to see Hamlet in America. They ended up going to the White House because I was involved with the Kennedy Center Honors, and we got to we got to go in, and I was part of a tribute to Jack Lemmon, who was president. Uh, uh, it was the Clintons, yeah. And um, and uh, as we were going in, you'll appreciate this, having seen this film. As we were going in, my mother turned to me and said, "My God, this is a long way from York Street, <laughs> which is where <laughs> yeah, we've yeah. grown up." But that that night, we had a premiere of the film. Jack Lemmon was there, Charlton Heston, Tony Bennett came. I remember Alan Alda. I mean, amazing sort of group of of people. And my father and a ton of drama students as well had come. And my father, in the end, it's like two o'clock in the morning. He's talking to them about what Hamlet means. Yeah. You know, he now has an opinion about All it. Right. You know, uh, basic things like you know, you look at a play like Hamlet, man is visited by ghost of his father, says I was murdered, you need to revenge me, it was your uncle. Yeah. Um, why does he not do it? You know, and, and like the basic question you have to answer in the middle of the play, okay, so he's now spent three acts proving that he did kill him, so now he knows, he comes upon him praying, the, the villain, the yeah. murderer of his father is in yeah. front of him, he's got his back to him, he's praying, yeah. now I could kill him. Why doesn't he kill him? This is the question you have to ask. My father had, you know, was was sat was sat there talking to twenty year olds who were equally passionate back about, you know, that question in Hamlet. But you might say it's a question about, you know, um, you were talking earlier on about where well, people don't know when to leave, right. and sometimes, you know, obviously murder is an incredible thing to even consider, and even right. if it might be a sort of righteous act, you might say in this drama, it's still very difficult for human beings to come to that conclusion. Sure, of course, steel versus steel inserted into flesh is not an easy thing to do. Um, is and that so, from the play? Sorry, uh, nobody could be. It could be. I think the musical version, steel into flesh, not a cool thing. You just said it with the same kind of delivery. It had a little iambicness to it. Iambic improv. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't know. Like, in, in do you still enjoy doing Shakespeare? I do. I, I, what I don't enjoy is the, uh, again, the sli- slightly rarefied thing that can continue to go with oh, it. Right. I still oh, sure, feel sure. it like, needs to be why can't, why sh- can't we? shaken up. But they've been know? trying to do that forever in yes, every different way. Exactly. So maybe maybe I should just get, get over that. And sometimes, um, and I kind of resist, uh, um, and I know I disappoint people who expect me to be some sort of guru about that and lavishing in my guru-ness or whatever. Yeah. I'm just a guy who practiced a lot. You play the guitar. Yeah. Um, you know, I do a lot of Shakespeare practice. Does that make me an expert on Shakespeare? In my view, no. No, but Does it, it make me an enthusiast, most certainly. Yeah. But do but as an as an artist, as an actor, because of I think you know what I'm identifying as this you know this. Well, we talked about it. I mean, do you like when you do it, even if you do a monologue, even though you do know it, mm. do you feel it? Yeah, the, you, what you said earlier on is exactly right. You get older. I mean, a play that I a play that I went to see, we did it at school when I was 16 years old, and it was one of the first Shakespeare's I went to see, King Lear. Yeah. And in the program, I opened it, and in this kind of blasted font, like it was like Mount Rushmore writing, was a phrase from the play. Uh, when we are born, we cry that we are come to this great stage of fools. Mm. 
Now, that hit me between the eyes. Don't know why. Why should that mean anything to me? I'm 16 years old, but I don't know why it hit me, but it did. So now I'm 60 years old, and when I read that when I read that line, when I feel that line, yeah. it does something very different to me. So now I'm arriving, if I'm allowed, if the universe sort of sets it before me in some way, I'm arriving at the point where I would like to do I would like to play that part. I would like to experience that. I would like to embody those lines yeah. because from another line of Shakespeare, Jacques in As You Like It, um, he talks about to someone who suggests he's become something, something of a curmudgeon. Yeah. He says, yes, I have bought my experience. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and he's yeah. paid a mighty price for it. So I would say, yes, I have bought my experience, <laughs> yeah. and, and now I can probably, you know, go for that for that King Lear and find, and find the way to inhabit it. But but it's I, I always challenge it with, you know, the why. Why are you doing something? Why are you doing? Now sometimes it's good enough that you're an artist. This is, you practice. This is what you do. Yeah. You offer it up, right. and you're a vessel anyway. Listen, it's yeah. for other people to consider King Lear. Some will be coming to it for the first time. Sure. In that sense, you're right. doing a good deed right. in a naughty world. And for other people, they can go. Oh, it's my fiftieth. No, he's rather interesting in the third act, but in the second act, it's rather boring. Yeah. And then he, he goes for the full despair in the fourth act, which is always a mistake. Should be fifth act. Oh, last season. Those guys. Exactly. They're ruining it for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, but I kind of now, I'm rather gingerly around. I was talking the other day about a friend, a great friend of mine, Brian Blessed, an actor who's yeah. been in a number of uh, my films. He's a dear friend. I see him every week. I meditate with him every week. We walk the dogs for a long time. He doesn't like walking so much these days. He's not, not as... Uh, uh, ready to do all that but we talk all the time he's a big big boxing fan and a great aficionado of acting big yeah. sports guy and he talks about boxing and and seven fights seven great fights that you've got in you seven fights when it can all come together and he feels the same way about acting that they're like in between those ones where you give everything every you just are spent where it's yeah. all gone in between those you'll duck and dive and you'll yeah. box clever and sure. you'll find a way to survive yeah. you get through it you might enjoy some yeah. you might land a few punches but basically you've got to get ready for the seven that you're capable of and so you know I feel that, that uh, for me that's been a sort of useful metaphor and I'm kind of cagely walking around King Lear and, and the immersion into that because now I know what it costs and my wife would tell you um, um, uh, the, the, about what I would call the bleed. Yeah. The bleed is the way in which even with the most sensible or I leave it at work kind of uh, attitude to art, yeah. artistry, the bleed into your own life is so taxing um, and I'm the, I, I'm the least kind of oh it, you know I became so dark because I was playing the dark part but it happens it just happens you can, it's like practice you practice a guitar you get better in the guitar if you practice playing a dark part because you you do it a lot that's my, it yeah, goes my life. in yeah yeah I mean that's my my my, my recent comedy <laughs> my new hour I, I ran it up in uh, you're gonna like this I ran it in Portland Oregon I did the hour 15 minutes and a guy a friend of the my my opening act he comes up to me and goes god that was great I'm sad oh. <laughs> And I'm like, I did it. Yeah. And now you, you've got to listen. So you did the sad. And if it was brilliant, then the sad, you're going to be taking some of the sad home with you, aren't you? And you're going to well, possibly, I, I, well, I or to are you getting the sad it. out? Well, I had to wrestle with it. Like, it's what I don't want it. Why is it like that? Because I'm not registering it quite like that. Yeah. I can't see myself clearly. This is the way I'm looking at the world. Am I sad? I'm not like debilitated. At least. You, you know, I mean, I'm trying to, you know, to, to process things that are yeah. dark and heavy. 
But I mean, I feel like that's kind of my job. Sure. Yeah, I'm not a song and dance man. No. And We're trying to do the big work here. And, exa- and it's yin and yang, isn't yeah. it? You know, you need to, the, you know, the old uh, Carly Gilbraith thing of, of just, or Gilbrand of, of, of uh, the, your joys and your sorrows sure, being balanced. Sure. This, this film, uh, somebody balance, said to me. Yeah, the balance, yeah. yeah. If, I mean, this, the film balances it. Well, well this film is, is, is uh, as somebody said to me, uh, heartbreaking and heartwarming. Right. But definitely heartbreaking. Yeah. And, so, and you cannot get away from, you cannot get But heartbreaking in a way that everybody can relate to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Having to move, having to confront crisis, having to change, people passing. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, they, this is not. It's not unnecessarily heartbreaking, and it's heartbreaking. You know, in a lot of ways, from the nine-year-old's perspective. So you do know that that kid's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's all tempered with that, and I think you know because so much of it was shot from his point of view mm-hmm. that there that innocence is is fully felt, mm-hmm. and so you, whatever heartbreak or darkness there is there. It's 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 really kind of um, held up by yeah. by the by the spirit of of that kid. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I, and, and that's a, it makes it kind of a beautiful thing. It remind it's sort of like when you were talking about the 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 way you pieced it together. It's, it, there there is a feeling of a Truffaut movie in, in there a bit, isn't there? Well, trying to find these snapshots of of uh, um, vulnerability and also these moments where literally you see the kid's face light up and understand that some other significant piece of human understanding he is yeah. now he has now signed up for. Um, so it's I felt watching the kid that you were watching almost watching the beginning of bruises appear. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, which is the yeah. But we all knew experience. he was going to end up, you know. Doing Henry, doing, <laughs> doing Henry the but, but <laughs> everyone in the room is like, "This guy's gonna be all right. He's gonna, he's gonna be one of the greatest Shakespearean actors of our time." But like when you put like Judy Dench in there, does there? Do you feel like that's your family? Yes, this was a huge, huge part of it. That that um, if you wanted to talk about family, then you needed to have people in there with whom you had, yeah. And and uh, you know, the, not just Judy. Almost everybody on that street yeah. I've worked with before. Oh, yeah, we gave uh, like. 12 kids from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art where I'm oh, now yeah. president their first job oh, yeah. that's family to yeah. me because I'm very involved with that yeah. and I when, I when I look at them I see myself back at that time yeah. and yes so so there was another it was an, an utter artistic family all of the crew you know half of them we'd worked with before Harrison yeah. Belukos our cinematographer is a you know is a great. great great friend and and so that had to go into this film the, the creative family had to bleed into the real family All right so all right. So, in in closing, when 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 are you going to do Lear? Are you going to wait ten years? Or I don't know. I don't know. What's your advice? Did you see Olivier's? Uh, I did see that. Yes, and the, 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 he did it early, and then he did it maybe too late. I think. Uh-huh. Um, um, and, uh huh. And the thing is, it's not a very rewarding part. Many actors say because he's an he's a, some would say well he's an egotistical idiot in the first act, and he learns understanding and insight only when it's too late and when he has been diabolically, uh, you know, cruel to his children, who in turn are ungrateful. So it's a somebody described it. Somebody like John Dryden described it as you know uh, his least good play, his greatest piece of work, because mm. dramatically it isn't nearly as thrilling as Macbeth, which got a real thriller plot. You don't have the nice jealousy revenge jealousy plot of Othello you don't have the revenge drama of Hamlet you've got a silly old man 
who decides, you know what, I'm going to leave the job. I'm going to leave the job. Sure. But you know what? Here's all you got to do. All you got to do, you just got to just got to stay with me. All you got to do, you just got to tell me how much you love me and yeah. do it publicly. Yeah. Do it. Pu- no, yeah. tell, tell me how much you fucking love me. Yeah. I'm serious. I'm serious. You're not getting the fucking kingdom until. No, I'm no, I'm really serious. <laughs> tell everybody how much you fucking love me. Well then, fuck you. Yeah. Well, fuck you. Fuck off then. <laughs> fuck right off. Um. <laughs> And 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 re- and you think really that's it, mature king? You were going to give up, and that's it, and that's it. And in a minute, you silly fuck, the entire nation is going to crumble because what happens in the drawing rooms of the rich and famous, unfortunately, waves itself out. And it's going to involve the by the end of this play, the power structure yeah. in this country is going to change. You're going to ruin the lives of so many people because you're an irrational, immature asshole. Yeah, you know, and and then you're saying to the audience, you've got to feel sorry for this guy, haven't you? <laughs> Well, not not so easily, you know. So that's the guy. That's our hero. That's mm. our hero. And so, then and then finally, and then and then and then in the fourth act with 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 Gloucester, you know, having Gloucester's lost his eyes, Lear's lost his mind, and his daughter, and his home, and his clothes. That's when he gets to say, "When we are born, we cry that we are come to this great stage of fools." Well, it seems like the challenge then that you may be up to is the challenge of creating an empathetic leer, right? Enough. Enough. Without, 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 I think it's, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Is finding the way to have the audience have, yes, some empathy, understanding, not necessarily sympathy, and not to do love me, love me acting up front, right. but to just find a way to, because it's not so, so unreasonable. But, but, but in a sense, to do it like Olivier did, like the second one was cheating, because he was old as fuck. Yeah, yeah. This is key, I think. This is key. I think you need a vigorous guy. Right. Leah, there's so much of a, a, a kind of a sort of sense of him as, you know, captain of industry, still got it. Right, sure. And still get it up. All, all men that age. Yeah, sure. say, exactly, exactly. So, you know, yeah, because the ridiculous thing, he says, you still got to call me king, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm splitting up the company. Right. Uh, but you, you, you got to call me king. And I'll do, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. do Mondays. Not yeah, going to yeah, do Mondays, yeah, no. Yeah. I'll do Tuesday. I'll come in second half of Tuesday, work all the way through to Thursday lunchtime. And then, you know, I, I'm gone. In those hours, I will, uh, I will do it. And yeah, you can all do. You know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I'm gonna be involved. You know, <laughs> but I'm course, still king. I'm, but I'm still king. <laughs> and that's of course when you know the kids go. Well, that's lovely, Dad. No, yeah, no. Or at least as soon as as soon as it's yeah. signed. As soon as it's signed. I think it's got, you got to do it now. Next couple of years, uh, I'm feeling that that you should do it when he also has the rage. When he, I don't think. I, th- I know, think that for some reason, I feel that. Uh, you, you you always have access to that. Yeah. <laughs> but rage and sort of danger, I suppose. He he the thing that of course he is so outraged by is the uh, the ingratitude that that I should know how how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. Mm. I gave you all yeah. To which they reply, yeah, and in good time you gave it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Asshole. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, man, man. What a what a guy. What a guy. What a guy. What a guy. But of course, he's, I mean, he's a sort of bastion of male insecurity, right? ego, and, you know, maybe it is the time to do it because, you know, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Well, yeah, swirling I, around. Well, I mean, the thing is, it's like, you know, it's time those guys take a hit. Well, yeah, no, the, the, this one, the price he pays for personal knowledge and self-awareness is so titanic, you know. That's ultimately what is tragic. 
Uh, and then, and then, of course, just the again, back to the basics. Having done all that, the one thing that he understood was that the girl who refused to say how much she loved him in public is the one who's most like him, as stubborn as him. That's why she couldn't do it, and he, she's the one he loses at the uh, at the at the most heartbreaking yeah. moment. So back to yeah, yeah, you know, and then Shakespeare does this thing about loss, um, just says one word five times about will she come back? Never, 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 never. It's as if it's like a like a rivet going into a piece of wood, you know, this sort of this clonging, clanging yeah. bell of certainty and uh, depth. That's what I felt when I was nine years old leaving Belfast. That's what I felt the morning after my dad passed away is just the running up against the brick wall of never, 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 never. Fuck. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you got to gotta do Lear. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe you just did it. Maybe that's, maybe, all, yeah, yeah, that, maybe that's all we need. Well, I'm glad we, uh, we, we, we took this journey. It was very, uh, very nice talking to you. Yeah, great talking to you. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. That's it, huh? Fire. That's a Dean word. Fire. I'm using it. Belfast, the new film is now playing in theaters. Here's some dirty licks. Everywhere.